The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. The Telegraph Money Podcast in association with Lion Trust, specialist fund managers. Laura, how much do you reckon David Beckham's legs are worth? Do you mean to me personally or the world of football? <laughs> the answer for yourself. Okay, the answer for me, about twelve ninety You're not far wrong. Now, what about Bruce Springsteen's voice? Well, I mean, you can't, you can't put a price on the boss's voice, really, can you? That's the correct answer. Um, I do have some figures for you. David Beckham's legs were insured for £100 million, so slightly more than what you said. Close. And Bruce Springsteen, the boss, had his voice covered for a comparatively low £3.5 both through the historic Lloyds of London. Almost as valuable as my own dulcet tones. (laughs) Absolutely. I think there there literally is no price for that. (laughs) Hello and welcome to It's Your Money. I'm Laura Miller. And I'm Sam Brodbeck. We're both personal finance reporters at The Telegraph, and in each episode of this podcast, we'll delve deep into a different financial issue that might be on your mind, from getting on the property ladder to preparing for an early retirement. We cut through the noise, break down the jargon, and speak to experts who give us the practical tips to help you get your finances in order. Today, we're talking insurance. Don't switch off. We'll be finding out what types of insurance you actually need. So in my case, home, car, and drinking arm. (laughs) And we'll be nailing down how to get the best deal. Plus, we'll be visiting the centre of the global insurance market, Lloyd's of London. If it's good enough for Beckham, it's good enough for us. But before we take a trip into the insurance history books, we sat down with consumer expert Martin James, who spends his life helping people get a good deal. And there's good news for us mortals. Even he doesn't always read the terms and conditions. We started by asking him if there's any types of insurance you should never buy. Top of the list, I would say, are warranties. And these are usually point-of-sale insurance uh, items that you buy when you're at the till, you're hot, you're a bit flustered, you think it might be a good idea to have them. The uphold rate of complaints when they go on to the financial ombudsman uh, about warranties is exceptionally high. It's around about two-thirds of all cases, which just gives you an indication as to how bad those contracts can be. The thing about warranties, and this is one of the things that loads of people um, don't appreciate about insurance, is the fact that just because there is a term or a condition in the contract and it's written down, uh, doesn't mean it's fair and doesn't mean it's being applied fairly. And with warranties, you see a lot of very vague terms in the contracts. So this is, I I was often, most recently when I bought a laptop, as you said, it was at the till and they said, do you want this extra warranty on your laptop? I didn't actually take it out. And you're saying that that was a good thing that I did? Absolutely. It always makes sense to cover items that you think, you know, if you can afford to lose it, brilliant. If you can't, then it's worthwhile maybe looking at some cover. But never buy at point of sale. It's never a bargain. It's often three or four times more expensive. Uh, with things like uh, laptops and tablets, I generally say to people, if you're taking the item out of the home, or if you're completely clumsy and you've dropped your phone in a pint like I have on numerous occasions, it's worthwhile knowing yourself and knowing if you're no- the expensive electronic items that you have are going to kind of come to any harm. Now, um, I did something uh, as a tester a few years ago, which we were calling what's in your handbag, 
where, with permission, we were asking uh, people what were in their handbags or man bags, and then totting up kind of the value of it. And on average, it was heading towards two to three thousand pounds wow. on some occasions. So it's well worth thinking about what you're carrying with you. I don't have anything that valuable in my handbag. Honestly, it's just broken pens, broken <laughs> dreams. <laughs> nothing, nothing that valuable. Can you insure against broken dreams? If only you could. If <laughs> you know, there were. This is the wonder of insurance. If you can think of it, an insurance company will probably insure you for it, even if it's a little bit prosaic. Um, you can insure against your marriage not working out, for example. It's Why are you looking at me when you say that? Because <laughs> my because marriage we're... already failed. <laughs> you didn't get a payout. Didn't, no payout. I didn't get the insurance, did I? Well, there you go. You see, you can't. Insure, it's like anything. You can't insure for a good time. You can't insure that everything is going to be perfect. But if you want to take out a boutique or couture insurance policy for something a bit mad, like you know, like your legs or your vocal cords. Um, then you certainly can do um, all of those things, though you will pay quite a price for it. Following on from that, I suppose. So what you're saying, what warranty is not a good thing to spend money on. Um, but are we overinsured? Do we have ever overlapping insurance? Because it's quite hard to keep track of all these things after a while. It really is. And actually, we fall into two camps in the UK. Um, half of us are often overinsured or are spending much more money on insurance policies than we should be. Um, and huge number of it, numbers of people, particularly young people, often skip insurance um, and the number of horror stories I have to deal with just involving travel insurance um, is absolutely heartbreaking. But for the rest of us, it's well worth going through your bank accounts and seeing what your regular payments are telling you because huge numbers of people will be paying for insurance policies that are obsolete. Um, The most common one, again, is mobile phone insurance. And often these policies, if they're under a tenner, you might not notice that those um, smaller payments are leaving your bank account. So one simple thing we can all do that could potentially result in some nice free money is to go and have a look at your debits and your uh, your regular payments. Your bank can print a list of those. Um, and if you spot anything that actually you're not paying for or that you're covered for elsewhere, then you can actually go back to the, the company and, and see if you can get some of that money back. Often they negotiate and they'll agree to a 50-50 split but, you know, it's free money and you're overpaying it and it might save you a few pennies as well. Now, insurance contracts, when you get them, especially things like mobile phones, the terms and conditions are tiny print and often run to a couple of sides of A4. So few people ever read those. Is there any kind of quick trick that you can just skim something and think, well, is this worth getting or not worth getting? Like, how can people tell what's going to be valuable insurance to them? You know, that's such a good question. Terms and conditions are my bete noir. This is the one thing I find particularly frustrating. Uh, my travel insurance documents are up to 140 pages now, oh, and that's pretty standard, and that's ludicrous. And you know, even as a you know a responsible consumer rights expert, I, I admit that I don't read them fully. Um, and realistically, no insurer can expect you to do so. Um, the important thing is to look at your key facts document, which is supplied with every insurance contract now. The key facts should basically spell out the most important bits, i.e. the things that are really going to have an impact on you. That will include things like excess uh, limits, the amount of money that you actually have to pay out yourself if you make a claim. It will cover things like the maximum amount of money that you'll get back under certain circumstances. But it should also cover what you're expected to do in terms of notifying the insurer of changes in circumstances um, or anything that might affect the policy or your potential claim. But again, I can't emphasise it enough. Just because a clause is in the contract does not mean it fair. And I'm pleased to say that I've overseen many a dodgy clause get cut out of 
insurance policy over the years. So if you don't think that you've been treated fairly, then you should always protest back. And loads of these cases are upheld. Now, I am a realist. We're all busy, but it's well worth kind of just putting into your diary when your insurance policy is up for renewal and a month before having a reminder. So you've got a bit of a run in time to shop around and see if you can get a much better deal. Go back to your insurer and say, I could potentially get this. Can you match it? And that is a really, really cost-effective and very time-saving way of potentially getting a better deal if you can't face going through all of the options out there. So we need to get better at haggling. Absolutely, yes. (laughs) Not just for Moroccan bazaars. (laughs) (laughs) There's, There's always a lot to be said for a good haggle. Is there anything that people are doing that unwittingly is increasing their their premiums that they might not even realise and it's costing them more and they should stop doing? Yes, there are loads and loads of things that we all do, quite understandably, because no one explains the rules to us, Um, certainly not in straightforward um, formats. But there are some weird things. For example, there's a whole range of complaints that we see every single year on the weird world of car modifications. Uh, And that's now if someone's kind of got a souped up car, you know, with chrome alloys and, you know, a, a thumping stereo, then, gosh, that made me sound 500 years old. What do young people if say? You, if you bring your beatbox onto the, um, if you take it into your vehicle. Oh, loads of things. That makes sense to people that, you know, you might want to tell the insurance company about that. But modifications include weird things like tinted windows, refracts, if they're permanently attached, are counted as modifications. And weirdly, even stickers um, with political allegiances, with religious statements, you know, with it doesn't matter if you're expressing a political point of view or a, an emotional or something that's, that means a, a great deal to you that other people might object to, the risk goes up because they might key your car in these oh, is that nasty the re- days. Mm. But who knew, right? So, Martin, that was all very useful, I'm sure, but we're all here for one thing. How much will it cost me to get insured against being abducted by aliens? Well, it all depends on where you are in the world, worryingly, Sam. Um, If you're in America, where there's a higher likelihood of mysterious uh, incidents like this occurring, allegedly, um, then you may have to pay a higher amount. Now, these policies, uh, joke policies, or, you know, they are real insurance policies. And this surprises people quite a bit. There are huge numbers of uh, UK insurance companies that will cover you, for you know, being bitten by vampires, uh, zombie apocalypse and you know if you get caught out by that looking increasingly likely but you never know um, who's, who's going to be around to pay out well, on, in, on the zombie apocalypse well, I, I always like to imagine there's a big like concrete bunker filled with very dull insurance people with like umming and ahhing about whether they go to hang over a bag of potatoes or something in the event of a zombie <laughs> uh, apocalypse but the, uh, the fact of the matter is you can cover them because they're you know, fun policies they tend not to be too expensive but you know thousands of the uh, policies Covering alien abduction alone have been sold. Uh, you know, they might have seemed like a good idea at 2am after a, a few bottles of wine. But, um, you know, they, those policies are out there. Some people do take them seriously. Are there any situations that are more likely to happen than alien abduction, but that actually you can't really insure against? There's a really weird exclusion. Uh, this actually quite worries me, actually, quite a bit in most insurance policies that doesn't cover people for um, terrorist activity. Now, the chances of being involved in a a, a terrorist attack, you know, thank God, are extremely small. But I've yet to find an insurance company that can explain to me why this is excluded. After all, insurance policies are there to cover the unexpected. So why on earth would this be an issue if you get hit by a car? You know, for example, you could be covered for all kinds of things with with health insurance. 
Um, there are certain medical conditions that will prevent you from being able to go abroad and have that condition covered. So um, on the slightly more downbeat side of things, there are unfortunately a load of things um, that you won't be able to get insured that morally or ethically you could argue you should be able to. But I would say, uh, particularly with older people, if uh, and you know, uh, lots of members of my family have crossed over that uh, cut-off point now where it's much harder to get insurance. That cut-off is generally 70 to 75. There are new generations of insurers springing up to cater for that market. Um, you might have to compromise a bit, but you shouldn't necessarily have to pay a fortune to get on a cruise ship or you know to go abroad. If you want to kind of like go and hike up a glacier like my 82-year-old uncle did last year in Canada, then yes, you might have a slightly heavier uh, layout. Go, uncle. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? I'm did he make it back? We he asked? did, yeah. Okay, it's good. so cool. But yes, so there's loads and loads of things that, you know, that might be a little bit harder. That's one thing just to touch on uh, finally. You know, lots of younger people, we keep being told how the age of mm-hmm. first-time buyers is creeping up. So more and more young people are living in rented accommodation for longer. And I suppose there's a sort of transience there that mainly maybe makes you feel like I won't bother getting insurance. Is that quite a risk to take on there? Well, it certainly is. Um, You're trying to save money as much as you possibly can do, particularly in London. But in all of the cities uh, around the UK, uh, it can have a massive impact. But I would encourage people to at least take out contents insurance or the key things like, um, you know, their the laptop, their work-related stuff, musical instruments, you know, if you want to be in a band or, you know, anything that you're using to further, you know, your own interests and career, absolutely do get them covered. Um, you can get group policies for uh, if you're in a shared house. Uh, but again, it's very, very important that you make sure that all of the named people are on the contract uh, because otherwise you will end up as the person responsible for dealing with all of these things. And make sure if you are going to share an insurance, well, presumably you don't want to be living with a household of musicians. Yeah, this is very true. Quite a grand piano. What if Elton John moves in? And he's <laughs> he is on the market hike. for a house share. Is he? <laughs> could you I'm imagine? interested. I don't, I don't know if you could even fit half one of his candelabras into my flat, but you know, best, best of luck. <laughs> That's a good point to end on. Good Thank stuff. you, mine. Thank you, Elton. Lovely to be here. And uh, Elton says hi. The Telegraph Money Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors who help you head towards your financial goals. Independent thinkers who have the courage of their convictions to make investment decisions. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise. Isn't it bizarre that insurance policies won't cover the gay faster stripes on your Fiat Panda, Sam? <laughs> Shame. That was a surprising one. I mean, it's not a massive <laughs> issue for me. I'm sure it's different for you. I know you live in deeper South London. I thought terrorism was a bit of a, like Martin said, I mean, that seems to be a fairly big risk these days. I mean, sad well, In say. London. I mean, not yeah. in sort of, you know, Clantlooney, where my parents live in Carmarthenshire. We can't base all insurance policies on your parents in, I can't even pronounce that village. <laughs> The uninsurable village. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think it's true. I think... Um, I, I mean, how can they take on... They'll do zombie apocalypse or alien abduction, but they won't do a terrorist attack. It does seem very strange. But presumably sort of everybody would take that out, right? I mean, not my parents in Tlantloni, but, you know, London, there would be quite a high... You think you might break the market? I, it just seems like it's quite a difficult risk to price, maybe. That would be the problem. Yeah, okay. We'll have to do some more research, I think. Listen, next week. The point of insurance is obviously to save you money if the worst does happen, not to lose it. But to do that, you need to work out which policies are worth it for you. 
So in the case of motor insurance, the minimum thing you need is third-party cover. That's if you're damaging other people's things. Actually, it doesn't matter about yourself. All the all the law cares about is that you're not hurting other people and, and they're going to be so worse So if you off. hit someone, they can claim on your insurance. But it doesn't cover any other costs, like repairs to your own lovely vehicle with its racing stripe. The rest, though, are all optional. Home insurance, buildings insurance, travel, medical, life. Okay, now tell me how you calculate the cost of someone's life, Laura. It's actually very difficult, is what I've discovered. Get your abacus out. Um, (laughs) No, it's, I mean, it's a very difficult actuarial calculation. I mean, obviously, my life would be worth more than yours. I mean, yes. As a a given. As a a woman? What were you about to say then? Just as a a person. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, yeah, you're worth more than me. But it is hard. So to find out how insurers calculate the cost of insurance, we took a trip to the historic insurance marketplace, Lloyds of London. It's where canny underwriters, that's the people who calculate the cost to insure something by analysing the risk, and brokers, the ones who help clients find the right policy, from all different companies meet to fix insurance prices. And it all started in the 17th century in a little coffee shop around the corner from the current Lloyds run by Edward Lloyd. Uh, It became a hub of the marine industry. You had all these ship's captains sitting on bags of tea and things discussing the next voyage off to the the Far East or wherever. Because this was Um, their their entire livelihoods. Exactly, yeah. they had to work out. As the British Empire grew, the risk of a ship sinking, you know, this meant thousands, millions of pounds in those days. So fast forward over 300 years and the whole thing's still going. Um, But now it's a huge building right in the middle of the city of London, which I think looks like a sort of mix between a cathedral and an air conditioning unit. It's really weird. It's like they built the pipes on the outside of the building. I mean, it's a very impressive, futuristic, because I think it was completed in 1996, um, but it still looks futuristic now. It's what people in the 90s or the 80s thought the future would be like. Lots of escalators, aren't there? Warning listeners, this interview contains an It's Your Money First. Sam tells the interviewee her job sounds boring. To be fair, she took it pretty well. She had to. Lucy Stambra is an innovation associate at Lloyd's of London. And we met her in a cavernous marble-floored atrium in the iconic and still strangely futuristic Lloyd's building in the city. We started by asking her the significance of the big golden bell in the middle of the room. The history of the bell um, is that it would ring a different number of times depending on has a ship come back into port, is it missing, Um, have we heard anything new about it. Um, But now we ring it on things like Remembrance Day, we'll ring it for for special occasions. And the bell is from HMS Lutine, um, which was lost at sea, and it was one of the things that Lloyd's um, salvaged, so we kind of built it into our history, um, and it's moved from building to building. That squeaky noise you can hear behind is <laughs> it's not a bell, no, it's crisscrossing escalators going up to, I don't know how high the ceiling is, but I can see sort of miles and miles of people sitting at little desks with insurance company names above. Can you just explain what they're doing? Yeah, so the the entire building is populated by a number of different desks. So above each one, you'll see the name of the company and the area that they specialise in. So right now, we're standing by Hiscox Marine and Aviation. Um, and at each of those desks is where the underwriter will sit. Um, they've got a stool next to them where the broker will come up and they'll bring their risks from their customer and they, they will come and discuss what it is that they want placing. Um, and this might be something like, um, you know, a aviation 
aviation fleet. It might also be things like sharing economy solutions. Um, so things like Airbnb are insured within our market. So you can walk around this room um, and see signs for anything. I can see QBEs, marine um, and energy on the distance there. I can see... Um, Upstairs on the fourth floor, we've got people that insure space and satellite pieces. So they'll have been, you know, really busy over the weekend watching the news about the Dragon um, capsule. Um, so, you know, a whole variety of pieces. That's Elon Musk's uh, rocket. They would come here and say, look, I've got, but I'm sending a rocket to the moon. I need someone to cover me in case yeah. it explodes. Yeah, no, they, they really would. Before. They really would. Um, and that's one of the projects I'm working on at the moment um, is developments in what they consider new space. So this could be the advent of things like space tourism. It could be um, even further forward things like asteroid mining. It could be um, the development of 3D printing in space. It could be, you know, um, tiny robots on the moon. When someone says to you, work out how much it's going to cost me today yeah. to pay, just like I might pay premium to, to insure my car and you can work out the risk they're asking for that same risk to be quantified and they want yeah. to be covered for that. But yeah, how do you no, go about doing that? That's why we got a marketplace full of experts. So that's not something that I would know how to do. Um, but it's the great thing about having the market like this is I can wander downstairs and I can talk to someone that knows the, the actualities of what that looks like. Um, they'll know about the new developments in that space. They'll have you know customers that are coming to them with the developments that they're looking to push forwards to. Um, and how do you work out? So, I mean, this is all very at a kind of corporate level, yeah. but... The reason that the corporations want to insure against those things is ultimately because it might hurt the end consumer of whatever their business is, often. So how do you, as an underwriter, go about working out, because it's kind of putting a value on people's lives, isn't it? You know, we're talking about the rocket earlier, you know, if we've got to insure against, you know, commercial space travel, Mm -hmm. and then you have to try and work out, well, what would be the price of that rocket exploding and all those people turning into stardust? Yeah. How do you go about even starting to begin those calculations? Cracky. Um, what they'll try to do is they'll look at they'll look at the risk, they'll look at the factors. Um, we've got lots of things like scenarios in our industry, so we'll try work out what is what is possible. Um, we've got you know the marketplace is backed up by a whole variety of modelling companies whose job it is to to look at these kinds of things, and then it's you know personal knowledge from um, from underwriters, um, but also kind of on the customer side, what information they're able to share that will help all are risk thinking um, because nobody knows the risk better sometimes than the people that are coming up with these new kinds of developments so where might they look for for risk mitigation or management advice um, that our industry can can play a role in Um, and the great thing about it coming into the market is you've got a whole room a whole industry full of competitors Um, so a marketplace is a great thing for for the end customer because it's really going to bring you value for money is there a reason why none of the chairs have backs to them? There is a reason why none of the chairs have backs to them. Um, and it comes back to that original um, business model, that idea of you know people meeting in a coffee house. So in some cases, it would be um, boxes of goods and people would sit on that. You know, people would be in their coffee seats, um, bring in there and someone would drag up a box and be like, oh, I heard you were talking about this. Let's have a discussion about that. Um, so it's, it's part of the history of Lloyd's. What the risk is of people falling off and injuring their spines and going to a no win, no fee? I can talk to a personal accident underwriter and find you an answer. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about looking ahead. So I think one part of your job is looking at sort of future risk, emerging risks. 
what are the things that we as individuals might be insuring ourselves against in 10, 20 years' time? Is it going to be, we talked about sort of space, are we going to be insuring our hovercraft or...? Yeah, well, you know, but maybe not in the next 10 years. But we've already seen developments in things like um, electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles coming through. So within the market, there are a number of different companies that are um, sponsoring test activities that are happening um, to build that knowledge to be ready for it. There's also things like intangible risks. So can you look at things like the reputation of a company? Can you look at things like supply chain? And then things that you mentioned like space. And then also new segments that are coming through, like the sharing economy. Um, and there might be activities like Airbnb. It might be companies like Uber. Um, so I think we're going to have to see what you know consumers want, what society development develops. I did want to ask you. So I think some people, when they hear, oh, you work in insurance, they yeah. probably imagine it's like uh, quite boring, maybe. Uh, so no, no. <laughs> some people might think that, but... Yeah. How did you get into this? You're right. Um, insurance is the most interesting job that nobody knows about. Um, and I've yet to find anyone um, that grew up wanting to work in insurance. But people just like, they find their way in. And the best thing you can say about our industry is once they're in, they don't leave. Um, so I know it does, but it's like in a nice way and not in a, you know, not in, not in another way. Um, but for me, kind of, I started out in academia. So I was at UCL and their Natural Hazards and Disaster Centre. Um, and what kind of got me there was, you know, I grew up on things like Twister and Dante's Peak, um, real, you know, fun B-movie um, pieces. But what I've always liked is that um, that kind of, like, science. Um, what can you come up with? Um, and what happens when you apply it at the real world? And that's what I found here. On, on any given day, I can be looking at things like autonomous cars. I can be looking at um, developments in the new space economy. I can be looking at IoT sensors on cargo ships. I can be looking at... You know, or 300 years of marine history. Um, I can be looking at anything, and I'm in a building full of people that know everything I could possibly want to know. Um, so I find that brilliant. Great. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Sam, do you accept now that insurance maybe isn't as boring as it sounds? I don't know. I mean, when you've hosted the podcast, everything else is pretty dull, isn't it, really? We do live electric rock and roll lifestyle. Compared to an insurance broker, yes. I'm so telling Lucy on you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's nearly a wrap for us this week. As ever, we've put a full breakdown of the advice given in the episode and useful further reading at telegraph.co.uk forward slash money podcast. Sam, what are our key takeaways? Well, first of all, look into splitting insurance policies with other people, a partner or a flatmate. Then you should always haggle with your insurance provider. And this is another case where loyalty does not pay. Always complain if they're not paying up when you think they should be. You can complain to the Financial Ombudsman Service if you think you're being unfairly treated. Also worth noting, paying up front saves money. That's because if you pay monthly, you'll usually be charged interest on top of your premium. Increasing the excess can also bring down the cost of insurance. So that's the amount you'll pay before the insurer pays. Exactly, yeah. And remember, you should never buy a warranty at the point of sale. You're much more likely to get ripped off. We'll be back next week talking all things student finance with Mr. Money-Saving Expert himself, Martin Lewis. We'll be talking loans, accommodation and how to avoid ending each month on a balanced style of beans and cheese. In the meantime, if you've got a personal finance question you want us to answer, email us at moneypodcast at telegraph.co.uk or leave us a voicemail at 07523 039 447. If you've enjoyed this episode, tell your friends about it. Maybe you know someone who has a voice worthy of insurance or legs too good to risk a scar. 
And if you're not yet subscribed, please do and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps other people to find us. Telegraph Money Podcast in association with Lion Trust. Specialist investors helping you reach your financial goals. Remember, investments can fall as well as rise.